0: Welcome, one, welcome all to the Pendulum Land Podcast. Our podcast is designed for people interested in the right of way industry, in eminent domain or the Uniform Relocation Act, or anybody who just enjoys a spirited discussion of popular culture. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pendulum Land Services, a full service right of way acquisition firm managed by industry experts who are dedicated to the integrity of the right of way process. Visit them at PendulumLand.com. With us today is our regular crew, Kristen Bennett from the great state of Texas. Yo, yo, Kristen.
1: Yo, yo, Dave.
0: Carrie Lynn Hirsch from Pendulum Land Services. Yo, yo, Carrie Lynn.
2: Yo, yo's a toy, not a greeting. Uh,
0: Ross Green. (laughs) Ross Green. (laughs) Eminent domain attorney extraordinaire from the Commonwealth of Virginia, Yo, yo, Ross. Hello, Dave. It's good to see you today, too, brother. Today... Our discussion expert witnesses we all need them we all hire them some of us serve as experts so we how about if we have a good discussion about the proper roles and functions of a good expert witness
1: sounds good to me
0: okay but before we get to that you know isn't it amazing that in such a short period of time we went from a bare-faced society to one where everybody gets to wear a mask. And it's just like a natural thing now. Everybody puts on a mask, and I can remember during some of the other scares in other countries, pictures of people like wearing masks on public transportation. I thought that was just like, so out of character. Like
1: SARS. Yeah, like yeah. the
0: certain SARS, and now we all do it. Do you own any interesting masks?
1: I do. I gotta tell you, when we first started this whole thing, my mother, who's an, an incredible seamstress, she made everybody in the family a mask, one mask. And I'm like, okay, that should do it. And then I realized, no, you need one like in your purse, in your car, another one in your purse. Like everybody needs several masks, and you have to wash them. So you have to have you, multiple colors so they can coordinate you have to with have your clothing. Multiple colors. Wait,
0: you wash your, ma- wash your mask? Oh boy. <laughs> Actually, I don't own any cloth ones. I just go to like the Walmart parking lot and find them on the ground.
1: They're always on the ground, and I'm like, I oh, know. how nice! They're passing them on to someone else. That's yeah, so and sweet. it looks it looks clean. Well. So I went to get my nails done a few weeks ago. And this woman who worked in the nail salon was like, do you need a mask? And I said, you know what? I do. I only have a couple. I would love a mask. And she just started handing me masks. She gave me like 15 masks that she had made. And I said, can I pay you? And she's like, no, don't worry about it. I just want everybody to have a mask. And I, I like forced her to take 20 bucks, but she gave me 15 masks. So now I have masks like in my car, multiple in my, like in my console. My kids have them in their backpacks. They're all over the house. It's great.
0: But how do you feel about wearing them? It used to be just like this crazy idea. I can't wear a mask. And I remember the first time I had to wear one in public, I thought I was going to choke. And now you can't go in public without wearing a mask.
1: Do you forget? And f- like walk into Target and be like, dang it, and have to go back to your and car? You get shamed or
0: have to turn around. Yeah, it's awful. Plus, it's it used
2: al- to be that you couldn't wear masks in places. They wouldn't let you in. Now they won't let you in if you're not wearing one.
0: Right, cuz they're afraid you're going to knock the place off and they can't get your face on the on the video surveillance.
1: I don't mind wearing one. I just forget. And I do find that I have certain ones, I wear contacts and like there are certain masks that I wear that it's like the steam from my breath like goes into my eyeball and messes up my contacts. I don't like that. But I don't I don't mind wearing one. It's no big deal. I'm kind of used to it now. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh. Well, I, I of course don't mind wearing one for the for the good of the public and for my own health and safety, so no objection there. It's not like I have some sort of political opposition to it, but I do find it very uncomfortable as do I and i don't I don't have any I have one that's got like chili peppers on it, and that's pretty cool, but otherwise, I've just got the most boring masks. Well, Ross Green has more boring masks than me.
3: You douche. I gave you one.
0: <laughs> but you don't have that one. Yeah, but it's not boring.
3: Hold
1: on. Is this the one with the skull and crossbones on it? The pirate mask. Yeah. But
0: I, right. I have more interesting masks than him. He didn't keep a copy.
1: My most interesting mask is one that I almost pass out when I wear, and it's one that my mom made. And she made it with this Norwex window washing cloth that she said she read somewhere online that it, like, blocks out germs better. And so it's, like, double layered with this really thick cloth. And I I almost can't breathe through it. It's horrible. And I'm like, nothing's going to infect my nose and my mouth, but I also might die because I can't breathe.
0: Well, you're much more healthy that way. And all Ross's masks, (laughs) they just all look like face panties to me.
1: You know what? I'm going to say something. You three have some face masks that you all got from the same place that are branded, and they do look like face panties. And by the way, panties, can we put that on the list of banned words from this podcast? I do not like that word. Panties. Nope. Nope. You only get one word. So if ah. we can't say panties, then we can say
2: M-O-I-S-T. Nope, nope,
1: nope, nope. I'm good with let's keep M-O-I-S-T off the list, and you guys can say panties wait, all you wait want. Wait
3: a minute. What would you rather it be?
1: Underpants. Underpants. Bloomers. Scundies.
3: Scundies? That's what my brother, my brother and his
1: wife, their whole family calls it Scundies. Scundies.
3: What is a Scundie?
1: It's undies, but they're Scundies. No, that is know. that
0: Scundies or undies with skid marks?
1: <laughs> so, Edit. <laughs> it's so awful. This has gone way downhill. All
3: right. I didn't know that. That's awful. Why?
1: That's not what, scundies are just a nice way to say, so you don't have to say panties. Okay.
0: Right. Back on track. Uh, we'll see. Why God. do we, why are expert witnesses important to all of us? Why do we need expert witnesses? We work, we work with them every day, literally in the law practice. And what I find is that other right-of-way professionals are experts in their field. Now, some actually serve as expert witnesses. Some can't be cajoled into serving as an expert witness. I mean, some people straight up say, I don't want to testify. I don't want to be cross-examined. I don't want to open myself up to humiliation, ridicule on the stand, which you're subject to if you agree to testify as an expert. And that's what people don't understand. Is they say, yeah, I'll give you a valuation of opinion or I'll I'll be a professional real estate broker for you. And then you tell them that they're going to have to testify. And they say, well, I'm, I'm, I can't do that. And we have to tell them, but we've already disclosed you. And if you don't testify, we lose the whole case. So what do you think, Ross? What are good qualities and qualifications of a successful e- expert witness? Any idea?
3: The key aspect of being an expert witness is being persuasive to the jury because that's really your purpose in the thing. Your job is to convey information that a lay person otherwise wouldn't have so that they can use that information in order to decide the case. But really what you end up doing is providing your opinion and then hoping that they find your opinion more persuasive than the other side's. So what you essentially end up being is a form of teacher, but you get to say something that is pretty close to the answer. Most places have a rule that say you can't say the ultimate answer, but in an eminent domain case, if you say what fair market value is, then you've likely just said what the jury should return the answer to be for what just compensation is. Uh, so... You provide them those tools. Now, that has a lot of different aspects because you get people that go up there and they're just, uh, you know, like we say in climb instructor work, don't be a talking head. And you get people that go up there and they want to just be a talking head and just say a bunch of complicated stuff, and the jury's eyes glaze over and they don't really pick up what you're trying to put down here. So you've got to be sort of a persuasive. Teacher, and then give them your opinion. They have to understand what your opinion is about.
1: So you have to actually be an expert, but also be compelling to the layperson. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, let's take two steps back. And not every law case requires the participation of an expert witness, right? And there are only certain cases that do. And experts are generally required where. Experts are generally required where you need an
3: explanation of concepts that are not within the knowledge of the average layperson. So sort of the thing that experts aren't required for and usually aren't admissible for is to tell you something that everybody knows. Experts are required for things that not everybody knows, literally that require expertise. So I don't need to field an expert to tell you that the sky is blue uh, or, you know, basic things, but, Real estate appraisal. Most people have no idea, like (laughs) how like real estate value is determined, uh, much less in this specialized context. Uh, Same as similar for doctors. Okay, well, doctors are very commonly experts. You have to go to school forever to be a doctor. So. Is the lay person know whether the other doctor did something correctly or not, or whether the person's really hurt?
1: I would ask how much Grey's Anatomy have they watched, because I'm pretty sure I could do, like, you know, some basic procedures based on how much Grey's Anatomy I watched.
3: Yeah, I can drive a tank into the hospital and kill off one of the only characters that I ever actually liked in the show, or we can kill a bunch of people in a plane crash just because we had too many people in the show. And then we needed to cut down on the number of threads. So we'll just repeatedly crash planes to wipe people out. of. The I'm just show. saying
1: I could probably intubate someone. Okay. I've seen, I've seen enough Grey's <laughs> anatomy. I can intubate somebody. I,
0: I, I'm pretty sure I can draw blood.
1: And also I know you guys are attorneys and that's cool, but I watched a lot of LA law and Ally McBeal. So like, I probably am kind of on par with what you guys can do with the law. I, would, I mean, you think, I don't know. Did you ever watch Ally McBeal and LA law?
0: Oh my God, that's I. That's how, I, in law school, we watched L.A. Law every Thursday night, and then we didn't go to class the <laughs> next day because we got credit See? for watching L.A. Law. And then you
1: passed the bar because <laughs> you watched L.A. Law. Right,
0: I didn't take bar review, I watched reruns of, of L.A. Law. Now, Ally right. McBeal hadn't come out yet, so I get my CLE credits by watching Ally McBeal.
1: See? So, I mean, I'm just saying, if you guys need help with legal work or any kind of, like, doctrine, I can help you. I stayed at a Holiday Nightmare. Inn Express last night.
0: Exactly. I'm just
1: saying. See?
0: But... To be an expert, you have to be recognized in your field of expertise by the court and the attorney will do what they call voir dire the expert to demonstrate his or her level of knowledge and expertise in order for the judge hearing the case to qualify, to recognize that person as an expert in the field that they're offered for. Yeah, you know how they say you can indict a ham sandwich? Well, you can pretty much
3: qualify <laughs> a ham
0: sandwich. Yeah, unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. And
2: So does being that profession qualify you to be an expert? So is an appraiser, every appraiser automatically qualified as an expert appraisal witness? No.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think they have to have some threshold of experience or certification. Now, the question is, if that appraiser has achieved, say, his or her MAI designation, will that automatically make he or she qualify as an expert witness in a court of law?
1: Oh
3: No, but I, I mean, I don't, I largely disagree. If you have a licensed appraiser in the state and they say, I'm a licensed appraiser in this state, and they get on the stand as offered to provide an opinion as to real estate value, are they going to be qualified as an expert? I don't know. In Virginia and hey, North Carolina, cool. it would be very unlikely for that, for that to not happen.
1: And I'm sure there's people that qualify as an expert witness that aren't necessarily really skilled at doing that. Just like you, you, know, you think in your mind, like, okay, if you went to law school and you passed the bar and you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer. Does that mean they're all, everybody's, everybody that's a lawyer is a good lawyer?
3: No, but the standard at least in – I mean, federal standards for being an expert are much higher. I mean, Virginia state standards, I'm not joking about you could qualify ham sandwich. I mean the like I
1: could be a medical expert because of my Grey's Anatomy experience.
3: I don't know about a medical expert, but oh. pretty close. Okay, good. The contrapoint is true. You don't have to necessarily have the applicable licensure or certification in a particular specialty in <gasps> order to be an expert. Really?
1: Wow. So you know,
3: for things that don't legally require uh, a license it's possible to be an expert without having a license. But
1: for like medical, you would have to have a license because that does require a license, right?
3: It depends. You end up with things like nurses, nurse practitioners, therapists, and other medical types qualifying as experts. They all have licenses. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you don't have to be a doctor to to be a medical expert.
0: Well, let's clarify one thing. I don't want to get people confused is you, you don't, You're not an expert based on how much experience you have as a testifying expert. In other words, you're being retained as an expert witness in five cases isn't what makes you qualified as an expert. You're either an expert on the subject matter or you're not, regardless of whether you've ever served as an expert opinion. Now, what may bolster you as an expert in the court's eyes is if the attorney offering that expert can demonstrate that other courts have recognized that witness as an expert in the particular field. Does that make sense?
1: Sure. So then do you get kind of pigeonholed where there's like just a handful of people that are always like the go-to experts because they've done it more often?
0: Yeah. You Yeah, the same. It's a, It can be a very shallow Rolodex sometimes. And that's not a good thing for the, the legal industry, and it's not a good thing for the right-of-way industry.
2: Well, sometimes can't that also be almost used to disqualify their opinion like all you do is testify as an expert witness
0: I think so it can be used to impe- to impeach them you're making your living testifying as an expert and not by performing appraisals right or you 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 made so much money as a testifying expert that you really you really look like a hired gun that that won't cause The court necessarily to disqualify that person as an expert, but it will or it may cause the jury to discount his or her testimony because they're just clearly a hired gun by one side or the other. So, what what do we look for when we're looking to retain an expert witness? What type of qualities are we looking for? And Ross started getting into that. And I think one thing that Carrie Lynn, you just stumbled upon and I'm not sure whether this was your point or not, is sometimes it's great to find an expert in a field who hasn't been around the block testifying for every Tom, Dick, and Harry. And, and it's, it's sometimes very powerful to find a new face instead of using the same old people over and over to be your testifying appraisal expert or your testifying broker or your engineer or your land planner or whatnot. And so sometimes it's, it's very, very useful to have a new face as long as that person is qualified.
1: How do you identify those people, though, and make sure that they are qualified?
0: Good question. Um, one way to do it is through networking, through conferences. There are also agencies which will help you find testifying experts in almost any field. But then ultimately, you as the attorney have to make the call as to whether or not that person is going to pass the muster. And even if the court will recognize the expert, the, the, the witness as an expert, that doesn't mean the jury is going to pick up what they're putting down when they get up and testify.
2: Well, they have to be able to relate to the jury, and I like Ross's definition of being a teacher. They're trying to teach them about a subject matter that they're unfamiliar with, and but you have to teach them at just the right level.
0: That is a great point, is, is you know, on some level they have to relate and they have to be personable. And there is, I hate to say this, there is absolutely no question in my mind that an expert who has charisma is a more effective expert than one who is a complete introvert and what Ross would call a talking head. Because remember, that expert's job is to educate the jury and to convince the jury to accept his or her position being put forth by the attorney.
1: Well, and sometimes you can have somebody that's just the best in the biz. Like, I, I, I know a couple of appraisers that people will say, oh, my gosh, this person's reports are the best. They're so good at what they do. Terrible at testifying. Yeah. And it's like, well, I mean, their reports are solid. But, like, you know, if they get on the stand, they're going to crash and burn. And so it's like.
0: And, and the thing is, Kristen, that, that somebody can be the absolute brightest person, the br- best and brightest mind in their in their particular field or industry and they get on that stand and it's like their brains turn to mashed potatoes. And I had a case like that. It's been almost 20 years ago and it was not an eminent domain case, but we called a physician expert to testify and he came from Duke University. He came from one of the greatest medical universities on the planet. And he got up on the stand, he, got, he testified to half of the things he was going through, he lost his train of thought, his, his eyes glazed over, and he started testifying for the other side.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, no, no, no.
0: I swear, he started testifying, he started saying the opinions that he was hired and offered as an expert witness to contradict.
2: And you couldn't edit that out.
0: And you can't edit that out. And that dude had had a high, you know, you could triple my IQ and I probably wouldn't come close to how smart that guy was. But he's a terrible expert. So brains don't necessarily get you there. I think also that it takes a certain amount of work ethic to be a really good expert because you're going to be asked not only to set forth an opinion, you're going to have to defend it. And odds are you're going to have to defend it twice. Number one, in a deposition. And then number two, if the case goes to trial, you're going to have to defend your opinions at trial. And the testimony of an expert witness at a deposition versus at a trial is very, very, very different. When we prepare our expert witnesses to give a deposition, what I tell them is you're not here to win the case in a deposition. You're there for the other side to solicit your opinions. And so you're there to answer the questions asked, and that is all. If we get to trial, that's when you're there to help us win the case. Because you're trying to convince a jury at trial in a deposition. You're not there to convince anybody. You're there to answer questions.
1: And is your advice in a deposition in that situation to, like, just answer the question, No more, like, just answer it, be done?
0: Yes. Okay. And here here's the other thing. Is a good attorney understands that this is a natural human weakness, that people hate silence, right? And so it's the natural human inclination when you're being deposed is if somebody asks you a question and you answer it and they just sit there and don't say anything, you, you try to fill the silence. And nine out of 10 people who give a deposition will fill the silence. And I've done this successfully to, other, to opposing experts many, many times where you ask them, what color is the sky right now? And they'll say blue. And then I just sit there and look at them like I'm expecting more. And guess what? Nine out of 10. Well, you know, it's blue, but it was black last night when it became dark outside. It was orange this morning when the sun rose. And I think that tomorrow it's going to be, and suddenly they're volunteering information and they're giving me information that I didn't even ask them about. And in a deposition, their only role is to answer questions and have information solicited from them. Now, When you get to trial and an expert witness takes the stand, you can't lead that witness. You can only ask them broad, open-ended questions, and they have to essentially tell the story themselves. And if you lead the witness, the other side may object and the judge may cut you off. So once you get to trial, yes, it is your time to shine, Mr. or Mrs. Expert, and it is your time to tell the story in your own words and your time to teach the jury without me dragging every single word out of you.
2: So they have to have confidence in their opinion and they have to have a little bit of humility.
0: And they have to be prepared. Right. And if they're not prepared and we have to drag every word out of them, then odds are the other side's going to say, objection, Your Honor, he's leading the witness. And the judge will say, Mr. Arnold, you certainly are.
1: And the jury is certainly not going to be compelled by somebody that you're dragging every single word out of
0: no and and you know the first thing you learn in trial advocacy class is the jury votes for who they like the best many times and that that includes the parties which is the plaintiff and the defendant or the landowner versus the condemning authority that includes the attorneys That's why you're never supposed to be nasty or snarky in front of a jury. And it includes the expert witnesses. And unfortunately, I've been burned by that, where we went to a jury. We had to put on a great case. The gentleman who I proffered to the court as an expert witness got into a nasty argument with opposing counsel while he was on the stand. The jury did not like him, and they took it out on my client.
1: So it can just be a popularity contest?
0: Were you homecoming queen or something?
1: No, my best friend was. Okay.
0: (laughs) That's kind of like... I was in the band. Okay. okay? (laughs) Nerd alert. Right. So, um, speaking of experts, uh, it seems like every actor and his brother thinks that just because he or she is an actor or a rock star, that their opinion carries more weight than anybody else's. And I've never really understood that. So you are an actor, which means you don't eat many carbs and you get a lot of work done to your face and that makes your opinion carry more weight. What are we talking about here? And so that brings me to my next question. Can you identify any actors who are famous, but they really are sucky actors?
1: Oh, sure. Do you want me to go first?
0: Sure. I don't see or hear anybody else jumping All in. All right,
1: I'll jump in. And this is, I mean, there's some obvious ones that come to mind. I'm going to go with a less obvious one that just always, it's somebody that I like and a lot of, I like a lot of her movies and she's beautiful. I mean, you could just look at her all day because she's gorgeous. She's not a great actress, and that is Anne Hathaway. No, Why? don't buzzer me on that.
0: First of all, Anne Hathaway is a goddess.
1: She's gorgeous. She is a goddess. I, I
0: can't get beyond that. I think she's beautiful, and she's that is so, not a great
1: actress make.
0: She portrays such humility in her roles, and I loved that movie with Robert De Niro, The Intern. I just loved Ad- that movie. Adorable.
1: And I you know thought what? it
0: was. I thought it was a really. Realistic character. Study. It was
1: adorable, and she was great in *The Devil Wears Prada*. She was laughable in *Les Mis, I'm just I don't saying. Wa- I don't
0: watch movies that okay, have well, subtitles. She was
1: really bad in that. Um, I have a cousin. Was that like, a movie? No. Listen, <laughs> my cousin McCall. McCall, if you're listening, hello. Who looks just like Anne Hathaway, and is probably a better actress. She's gorgeous. Anne Hathaway, gorgeous. Just not, just not a great actress. And watching her, I love *The Devil Wears Prada*. Watching her across from Meryl Streep in that movie is kind of funny because Meryl Streep is just, like, such a craftsman with her art. And then Anne Hathaway's pretty. Like, wow, Meryl. Oh, Meryl. Anne, you look really pretty. Anyway, I I like her, and I will watch her movies. I don't think she's a great actress. Mm.
0: Anybody else got an opinion here?
1: Mine will be very
2: unpopular, but it has to do with uh, all these singers. They can sing. And then they think they can act. (laughs) I'm reaching way back. But I have to tell you, I do not think Elvis Presley could act.
0: (laughs) You mean you've seen an Elvis Presley movie?
2: Have you not?
0: No, not one.
2: Yeah, they're bad.
0: Well, okay, so have (laughs) you seen... There was a time when all these singers started making movies. The Beatles made a movie. The Monkees had a TV show.
1: Yeah. The Beatles had a couple of movies. Yeah. Yeah. They were like extended music videos, though. I mean.
0: Were they? I never watched any of those either.
1: They were were just whatever. I
0: I can't take issue with what you're saying, Carrie Lynn.
1: Kelly Clarkson, one of your guilty pleasures, made a movie with some other runner-up from American Idol called To to Justin from Kelly or something that was atrocious. So bad that it was good.
0: You watched that? Uh Uh-huh. Hey, Along the same lines, do you remember? Famous movie from our generation, Carrie Lynn, and a, one, probably one of the most iconic albums of our era. The worst movie ever. Can you guess?
2: Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That's
0: not my generation. That's my mother's generation. So Great. I'm try again. Great album.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the movie came out in the 70s.
0: No, it didn't. Yes, oh, it the did. Beatles broke up in 72. How it, could it have come it out in the, the 70s? It
2: wasn't the Beatles weren't in it. It was the Bee Gees were in it. It was the Beatles music. What? What? Is this what? like a Mandela effect thing where like you remember you... a movie that didn't exist? <laughs> no, I'm, look it up. I'm going to. The Bee Gees were in it, in it, but it was the Beatles music. It was awful. Uh,
0: okay. I take your word for it. But our generation, yours and mine, and I won't say when we graduated from high school, but it was within a couple of years of each other.
2: Greece? No, that's still... That, that's older than me. Okay. Well, then what is it?
0: Purple Rain.
1: <gasps> oh. Yeah, that I, was oh pretty bad. Oh, my God. Prince
0: was awful. I, I mean, great album. And then... I
1: was, yes, the album's fantastic. I've yeah. never seen the movie. I don't yeah, know that you, I saw the whole thing. I think it might be of You know why you didn't see the whole thing? Because nobody can bad. sit
0: through it. And then he goes and follows it up with something called Under the Cherry Moon, which was even worse movie.
1: You know what, Prince, stick to what you know. And that that album well, was great. That's resting in peace
0: right now. I know. I Aww. miss him so much.
1: I do too. Oh my gosh, me too. But that Purple Rain album, so good. I never I saw the movie. Remember
0: when, when Doves Cry came out?
1: Oh my god,
0: it was so revolutionary at the time. Wait, oh. were you in diapers when that? We were in diapers when that came I'm out. I'm not
1: sure I was born when that came out, but no, I you it.
0: were. But I'm thinking you were still in diapers when you were five or six. Ross you got anything to add to that before I go Um,
3: I don't love Hayden Christensen who's that the guy that plays Anakin in the like Star Wars
1: why do we always
3: have to go back to like Star Wars figurines is
1: this lava lava burning legs guy uh okay okay I know who who that is did he do anything else besides that movie ever in his career
3: Uh, I think a really bad movie called Jumper Okay. That I've seen, like, you know, it's one of those that ends up in the gym, like, movie theater, because I guess it's free from the gas station or something.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I not surprised you came up with someone either Marvel or Star Wars related for this topic? Because I'm
3: going to keep saying it as long as we have to keep talking about wretched-ass Billy Squire.
2: Wait. (laughs) Wait.
3: Did
1: you want to? Were
2: you
0: asking for
1: an update? No, we don't need an update today on
2: Billy. Okay, let's give it a rest. All right, so look, Billy Squire stuck to what he knew.
0: He did, and
3: he was great at it. Yeah, and that's why he went down in flames. Like once they decided that terrible soft rock and gyrating badly on a video were bad ideas.
1: Oh, Dave, are you crying? Yes. So who's yours? These are
0: not tears.
3: Actors, of
1: joy. actor that you think is not a good okay, actor. Okay, well I'm
0: gonna. Here's what I'm gonna go. What I'm gonna do is there are two that you just completely everybody at this in this podcast whiffed on, and I can't let this go. I know who they are. Go ahead.
1: I, we we can't get past this topic without talking about Keanu.
0: Yes, and I love Keanu. I do too. I think he's wonderful. I'd love to hang out with him. There's a bomb on the bus. Beef oven. We ran into Beef Oven. <laughs> and his best role was in the movie Parenthood and oh, and he's so got good. so many movies that I like like The Replacements. I love that movie, but god he's Ted. so bill and T- but he's such a but he's he, but he's made all these other things. What's that, that trilogy called? The Matrix and I couldn't the watch Lakehouse. that. The Lake House, did anybody see Lake House? Oh Lakehouse? god, I, I fell asleep I didn't even understand it.
3: Dude, The Matrix is great.
1: Ross. He's Neo. How about that? Okay. I and knew so, the name. Are you, pre- are you yes, pressed? Yes, I am proud of you. Thank Points you. for Kristen. Aside
0: from Kiana, who's the other one you were going to say that we skipped over?
1: Well, we've talked about him on a couple podcasts. He, and that's, he can that's dance. And he, and can, he make, can make a clay pot, but, but he can't act.
0: That's right. Was now, that your two? No, that's the ones I wasn't going to let you guys get away with okay. not saying. So okay. here's mine, and it's going to be really unpopular. And I'm going to tell you, I love this man like he's my own father.
1: I'm nervous.
0: I, I adore him, and he is... Probably the best filmmaker of the last 15 years.
1: Oh, no. But he's
0: not really a good actor. Who? Clint Eastwood. Oh. He is so one-dimensional, and he's had so many films.
1: Is he a a one-hit pony? He's a a, a a one-trick pony. A one-trick wonder?
0: Yeah. But he he is a great director, and he's made so many wonderful, wonderful movies.
1: But he's always Dirty Harry.
0: Yeah, and he never really got it beyond his Spaghetti Westerns or his Dirty Harry, which he's great in that role, but it's just like Keanu playing a pothead or a surfer guy. Okay, we know you can do that, but you've got no range.
1: I accept that answer. That's a good one.
0: Okay, well, let's get back to expert witnesses, shall we? Yeah. Now, from where we sit, let's talk a little bit about what we see as the biggest problems with experts. And we touched on in the last segment, uh, sometimes they fail to prepare. And we've had that happen, where we will prepare the expert and we'll sit them down before their deposition and we go through the same spiels. And it can take hours to prepare them, but there's a lot of work they have to do on their own because they have to defend their opinion. And let me give you a classic example. Is what we tell every expert in preparing them for a deposition is, don't bring anything to the deposition. And do you know why we say that? Why? Because if they pull something out, the opposing counsel can say, oh, can I see that? And then suddenly it can potentially become a piece of evidence in the case. Oh. now,
1: And that's like admissible, like it was there, well, so they it's can, part of it? Yeah,
0: they can sit there and cross-examine and question the guy or the woman about it. And I've had cases where we're like, listen, you need to do your homework. You have got to review everything. You've got to know your opinions and your reasons and bases, therefore, frontwards, backwards, hot and cold. But you can't walk in there with your file. And in one case, sure enough, after I went through this, the guy sits down. First question on the table, he says, "I don't know. Let me consult my file." Pulls the whole thing out, spreads it on the table in front of opposing counsel.
1: Uh oh, that's all bad. his
0: notes, everything.
1: So then, what happened?
0: You know what? Opposing counsel was very inexperienced and didn't ask to see it. That so that, that we was lucked a lucky out. Lucky moment we for you guys. Out. But the point is, they need to prepare on, we will help prepare them for a deposition and for trial, but they need to prepare on their own. And that also brings me to my second point, is a bad quality in an expert is if they don't listen. If they don't take the preparation to heart, and if they don't take their instructions.
1: Right, because you guys know what you need out of them, and what you don't. Yes. Okay, and so if they just come in there, flapping their yap about whatever, that can hurt your case.
0: Yes. Yes. And and they also need to be mindful of their what they charge and their fees. And nobody expects them to work for free. And they may make anything anywhere from two hundred to five hundred dollars an hour, and the juries will will accept that a lot of times. But what nobody will accept, neither the party who pays their bill, and it's not the lawyers who pay their bills. Ultimately, the party is responsible for the expert's bill. But what. The party and the jury will not accept as if they overcharge, and it's clear that they're trying that they see this as like the golden ticket, and they're trying to get rich off the case.
1: Right, right.
0: And there has been there have been occasions where we've re, we've retained a new expert, and we've been very clear in the scope of work and what they're going to earn. And in one instance, we got a bill for eighty thousand dollars. I almost okay. swallowed Knight. my own tongue.
2: What? what was he an expert in? Um, Rocket science.
1: And
0: he he stunk. He was awful. Needless to say, we didn't pay that bill.
1: I would think not. Yikes. What mm-hmm. else makes a bad? Like, what else do you look for? That's like a red flag for an expert witness.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> some of them uh, think that they are the quarterback, the team captain, the coach on the sidelines, the general manager, and the owner of the franchise. And they're are none you of
1: saying th- they're cocky? <laughs> they th-
0: they think they think they're in charge of the case. Well, what I'm going to say is this, that, or the other, and here. No, 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 no. What you're going to say is your opinion, and it's going to be truthful, and you're never going to lie. And that's all you're going to say, and that's all you're going to do. And I'll be happy to prepare you to make you comfortable. But you're not deciding the strategy of this case. You're not hired to determine strategy in this case.
1: Right. Do you get a lot of pushback from on that? Like, are there people that fight you on that? Some of them do. Really?
0: Yeah. yeah. Overtly
1: or like, does it just happen where you have to put them back in their place? You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do what I want to well, do.
0: Well, sometimes they'll say, well, here's what you need to ask me. And here's, here's what, here's what we need to do on our case. And I'm, This isn't our case, bro. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is my client's case. And I'm the one who's been practicing law 30 years. And you are hired to give an opinion and defend the opinion. Well, that brings me to my next thought is I haven't been to a concert certainly since the COVID broke out. Aww. And I don't know when I'll ever see another concert. But there was once a time where that was my favorite thing in the world before it got so on expensive to go to them was to see, I don't know, five, six, seven concerts, especially during the summer or if somebody special was coming in the fall or the spring or the winter. Or if there was an outdoor music festival. One of my favorite things to do. Which brings me to the question of what was your first concert ever?
2: So like my first concert that I went to ever in my entire life or like on my own. I went to a Led Zeppelin concert with my parents when I was very, very young.
0: That is impressive.
2: That's the coolest first concert ever. Yeah, Especially when you hear what mine was. I went to sleep in the seat. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because... Jimmy Page is such a boring guitarist.
2: I think I was like five.
0: And you saw you saw Led Zeppelin.
1: I saw Led Zeppelin. You—that is the coolest first concert story ever. Like you win. Should Drop we just quit? Right. Yep. Thank, thank you for listening to our episode. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear
0: that Donnie and Marie Osmond was my first concert. No,
1: <laughs> really. Yeah. Hmm. Y'all want to know? Like I lose. This is so embarrassing. Worse than no.
0: the, Worse than the Osmond family.
1: It's worse than the Osmonds. It's worse than Yanni. But I have to say. I made up for it by taking my kids to the coolest first concert ever. They're 11 and 9, and last summer they went to their first concert. So my first concert ever was in Abilene, Texas, and it was. I would say drumroll, but our drumroll sound effect is way too long, so just, okay. Thank you, Amy Grant okay amy grant do you guys remember amy grant baby baby like oh boy so amy grant was my first concert okay who who did you take your kids to see is there some redemption there paul mccartney oh so my kids first concert was a beetle dude like when they're grown-ups there won't be any Beatles remaining i think that's cool and i've seen paul mccartney a few times with my dad that's kind of our thing but this one was really cool because i had my kids with me so that's my redemption story from the amy grant Initial concert Redemption at the Taylor Song. County Coliseum in Abilene, Texas. Awesome.
0: So one more one more topic to cover uh, on the topic of experts. Kristen, you're a re- you are a relocation Wait expert. Wait a
1: minute. What was yours? The Osmonds.
2: The Osmonds really was yours? Oh, oh he geez. wasn't Sorry. kidding. But that
1: was did, for real. Did you
0: think that was a joke or a I bit? Did. I mean,
1: so the Osmonds is the real deal. That was your first concert. That was not like some sort of a bit.
0: Yeah, no, dude, that's... Yeah, but but I made it up. My second one was Billy Joel. I and thought you
1: were going to say Billy Squire. I got
0: nervous. Yeah, Billy Joel in at William and Mary Hall in 1979. He, he was on the 52nd Street tour, and he was about to release Glass Houses. It was awesome.
1: Wow, I saw Billy Joel last year, and he was still awesome. He's fat and bald. I know, but he still plays that piano real the, nice. You know? If, did you piano. know
2: that he was playing? He played once a month. Madison, Madison, Square Madison Square Garden, yeah. Once MSG, a month. yeah, for and like uh, over a year. You
0: know how expensive it is to get tickets to that.
2: Now it's next. He's postponed until next
1: November. Are we of ever going to go to concerts again? No. I oh, love concerts.
0: Another piece of Billy Joel trivia, which my mother disowned him. My mother was a huge Billy Joel fan, and she's done with him now. Is when he married a woman who was younger than his daughter.
1: Oh, oops. Yeah,
0: mm. that's not the type of thing that makes moms proud.
1: No. Still got some good songs.
0: Oh, he's got a ton. And I know every Billy Joel song, start to finish, every word of every song, including Cold Spring Harbor. Okay. So, Kristen, you are a relocation expert. Does the relocation industry require experts other than you're performing your job as relocating people?
1: You know, this is a tricky one for me because I don't – I have been asked to play ball for the other side here and there and to represent – like landowner attorneys and displaces on that side of things and to, to try and say that whoever the condemning authority hired to do the relocation did a bad job and why I've never played in that sandbox it doesn't feel right to me and I'm of the thought that if you have a good relocation consultant those those people are not necessary now the problem is not everybody who's doing relocation is good at doing relocation so I get why maybe there need there's a need for that I don't dabble on that side of things.
0: But you know, there are relocation agents that I frequently see give presentations at conferences who are available for hire by displacees. Yes. Even though there is a relocation agent already on the job.
1: Here's, Here's the problem with that. Every dollar that a person gets from me the relocation is a reimbursement. You have to spend it to get it. So if you spend $5 on your relocation, I'm going to pay you $5. If you hire someone and you pay them money to get you more money out of the relocation, which it is what it is. I hate that phrase. I think it's lazy, but it is what it is. If you spend the money and it's actual, reasonable, and necessary, and it has to do with the relocation, it is eligible for reimbursement. If it's not spent or it's not actual, reasonable, and necessary, it's not. So there's really not a lot of gray area. And people talk about relocation like there's all this gray area. There's really not. Something's eligible or it's not. And so if you hire someone to come in and say, oh, this is eligible, and like maybe fudge it a little bit so that they can make it look like it's an eligible expense, that's all well and good. But They're paying that person to do this out of the money that they're getting back as a reimbursement.
0: That was my question, because we already established in this episode that experts are not free. They're probably earning somewhere between $200 and $700 an hour. And if they're a medical expert, it could be north of that. Mm -hmm. So somebody charging $500 an hour is going to add up really fast. And the attorney doesn't pay that. The displacee or the party pays for it. So where does that money come from if it's a relocation expert?
1: It's coming out of the reimbursement. They're getting paid back pennies on the dollar at that point. Because it's a reimbursement. You spent you spent $1,000, I'm going to pay you $1,000. If you spend $1,000 and you pay uh, some move planner, I used air quotes. You can't see that on a podcast, but move planner with air quotes to help you maximize your benefits, you're still going to get $1,000 back, but now you're going to pay that move planner 400 bucks or whatever it is, whatever percentage of that. Right. Right. Um, it works out to be, and it it feels. And I'm going to say there are, there are people out there that are move planners who are fantastic at what they do. They're experts. They've done this a long time. I could name drop some, but I'm not going to do that. They're fantastic. But a lot of people out there that purport to be move planners or relocation experts, um, it feels very predatory to me. And it does feel like it's not like an acquisition where I hire an attorney and go, "Hey, if you get me more money, I'll pay you a percentage of the overage." Great, you're getting more money, and the attorney gets paid. Cool. But if you're in a relocation situation, you're not going to get any more money than you're eligible for under the law, period, end of story, because it's a reimbursement.
0: Well, it seems to me that most relocation agents, to be effective, must be an expert at what they do. I mean, you, you, you just aren't effective in relocation unless you master the act and the regulations. And, and then even after you're familiar with those, you've got to go out there and do a bunch of relocations to really get good. So you are an expert. I guess the question is whether experts are really required as testifying experts in relocation or whether they're really necessary to be hired by the displacee since the relocation agent should be an expert in what he or she does.
1: He or she should be an expert. That's not always the case. And sometimes a displacee gets hosed because they end up with some some guy who says, "I can come, I'll do the relocation." Yeah, I took a relocation class five years ago, And that does not a relocation expert make. No. And so you know, clearly, in that case, there's there can be problems. And we can end up with appeals because there wasn't a good relocation expert actually handing the relocation. but Theoretically, if you're handling the relocation, you should know what you're doing, and there shouldn't be a need for the displacee to pay money out of pocket to get somebody there to get their benefits for them. Because right. that's my job.
2: So, would there be a need for relocation experts perhaps in an appeal, not necessarily to be paid by the displacee, but to help the agency determine if the original
1: decision was fair? Sure and in that case i mean i i would have no problem with that uh, at all yeah i think that 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 can definitely happen where an especially in an appeals process to go here's here's what happened and usually anytime i've been involved with an appeals process um i would as the agent i've only had one appeal ever with anything that i've ever done and i came in with all of my file stuff and and explained my side of Everything that happened and then there were other people there that also knew the relocation process to go yeah yeah, we were on board here we are in um, we're definitely um, in compliance with the uniform act let's go yeah you there's a you know they'll need other opinions in an appeals process but when we talk about like an expert witness like in a, a, a jury trial situation I mean I, a lot of times the relocation is not really a part of that conversation in my experience well,
0: I think that this would be a good This will be a good note to end on, to wrap up on. What do you think? It was a fun episode. I enjoyed discussing these concepts with you. So thank you all for joining us for the Pendulum Land podcast, brought to you by Pendulum Land Services, LLC, a full-service right-of-way acquisition company dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way industry. Visit them at PendulumLand.com or on Twitter, at pendulumland. This broadcast was produced by Right-of-Way Consults, LLC. And you can reach out to your resident experts on Twitter at ReloChristen at Right-of-Way Ross, at Right-of-Way Dave. Later.
1: Elvis has left the building.